Merry Christmas. How you doing? John chapter 1 is where we are going to be today. If you have a Bible, open it up to John 1. And while you're doing that, let me mention a couple things. First, um, we, I don't know if they're here today. They might be resting. But are Rooster and Lacey here today? There they are. Hey, um, I don't know if you caught up with our emails, but this has been a trying week and a half or so for the Almond family. Rooster uh, had some pain about a week and a half ago. By the way, his, his given name is Gene. Um, his parents didn't. That's kind of a nickname, but that's what he goes by. But a week and a half ago, he had some pain. He was working out, young, healthy, strong guy. Had some pain in, pain in the back of his head. And um, they, his wife took him to the emergency room, and they thought that maybe he had a brain tumor or an aneurysm. And they sent him straight away to Emory, where they have some special diagnostic machine. And this past week and a half has been really stressful for that family and uh, they determined that it was one of three things two of which are very serious and would have required immediate brain surgery and it ended up being the doctors are sure that it is uh, the not one of those two things but it's what's called a cavernous malformation is that right all right to my um, doctors in the house and um, so that is uh a great praise report. The doctors think that it's just going to need monitoring. He's going to go back in four to six weeks and maybe get checked up once a year. And we're still praying that this would just completely dissolve. But uh, that is a great testimony. So let's give it up. Yeah. Praise the Lord. It is good to see you, bro. Man. Um, hey, and another thing happened uh, this past week amongst the Crosspoint tribe. We've got a young uh, whippersnapper here who is kind of, uh, uh, by extension, part of our staff team. He's a junior at this small little state school up in Athens um, that's just uh, starting a football program. But anyway, he is a uh, junior rising senior there, and for the past, oh, I don't know, six or seven years, I think since they were in middle school, he's been dating this young lady, and um, over the course of the past few years, it has become increasingly serious. And uh, word on the street is, is that sometime this last week up near the Levi Farms area in their beautiful chapel, he um, arranged for a meeting to happen there, coaxing her to believe that there was going to be some gathering there. When they got there, there was no gathering. It was a gathering for two. And in that little chapel, he had some roses and some candles and some communion elements. Oh, and a engagement ring. And word on the street is that Robert Ward got down on one knee and asked the young Sigourney Harrell to be his bride. And the amazing miracle is, is that she said, yes. So there they are in the back. Give it up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Way to go. We don't know when the wedding is scheduled. I think it's going to be a little while. He's got some schooling to do. She's got some schooling to do as well. But praise the Lord. Um, hey, a couple things before we get into today. I want to ask you to pray. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I sent out an email about a young pastor in Texas who is uh, really, uh, in, in a lot of ways, a mentor to me. He's a couple years younger than I am. Reynolds and I um, are, are you know, listen to this guy every week. He's a tremendous preacher. His name is Matt Chandler, and he pastors a church out in the Dallas area. It was about seven or eight years ago. He took over this dead and dying little Baptist church outside of Texas. And this young man is amazingly gifted. I mean, he is one of maybe the best communicator of the gospel, certainly in my generation, maybe in the whole uh, country today. And 
uh, a couple weeks ago, he fainted and fell and hit his head. And they rushed him to the hospital, found out that he had a brain tumor on his, on his frontal lobe. And they did surgery to remove the brain tumor. And then there was a lot of, you know, just waiting for the biopsy report. Found out that the biopsy was malignant and that they didn't get all of the brain tumor. And so he's in the process of undergoing, uh, about to undergo some pretty intense treatment options. Obviously, very heavy radiation or chemotherapy, maybe some more surgery. And um, obviously, we're, we're talking about the brain. So um, let's just pray for Matt Chandler and his wife, Lauren, and their kids and the Village Church. He is a great gift to the body of Christ and has been. And so I want to pray for them. And then also, as we're praying here before we open up the book and talk about Jesus, uh, what's always on my heart this time of year is soldiers that uh, are deployed in faraway places defending us and our causes. And so let's remember some of the young guys that are from Cross Point, thinking of Bob Landig and his wife Amy and, uh, and Quinn MacArthur and Nick Privet, a couple other guys, Johnny Boxdance. These guys are all over the world. And so it's a hard time for soldiers to be away from home. And so uh, as we pray and open up the word, let's pray for the Chandler family, for God to heal, and for the soldiers, that, uh, especially those young guys from Cross Point. Well, let's do that. God, thank you for today. Thank you that as we open up your book in a moment and we talk about Jesus, that we're not just talking about a spiritual guru or a cultural ethic or a religious system. But the scriptures tell us that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. That through him all things were made, whether things on earth or in heaven, whether they're visible or invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or powers or rulers, all things, everything was created by Jesus for him and through him. That he is before all things and in him all things consist and that Jesus is the very head of the body, even this group of people that are meeting here in this room, which is the church, connected together with the global church of Jesus Christ. That he is the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what we're doing here, Lord, is trying to exalt Jesus and make Jesus first in all aspects of a busy, commercialized, selfish, self-absorbed culture. And then it says, God, that it pleased you to make all of your fullness dwell in Jesus. And that through Jesus, you reconciled all things to yourself, whether they're things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So focus our hearts on that truth today. And as we pray, we do remember the Chandler family. I thank you for... Matt Chandler, for these past four or five years, he has been tremendously used by God for thousands across this country, maybe even hundreds of thousands across the world. And particularly for me, he has, he has nurtured my soul. And so I do pray for him and his wife and his family. I pray, God, that you would give the doctors wisdom. We know that you are sovereign. And we know that Jesus is far better than another 50 years of health. And so, God, whatever your plan is, we submit ourselves to your sovereign will, but we know that you are able to heal. So do that, we pray. Selfishly, we pray that you'd give him another 40 or 50 years of preaching the gospel. God, we pray for our men and our women from our country that are deployed overseas. Lord, we can argue all day long about 
whether we should be in certain places or the political reasons. And that it just seems like Washington is a mess. And it's not a commentary on the current administration. It is politics in general because mankind is sinful. But God, would you give wisdom, undeserved wisdom, to our politicians? And would it filter down into our military? And would the men and women that are serving and sacrificing, would you protect them? Particularly, I pray for the young men that have come through Crosspoint this past year. Would you, God, put a shield around them? Would you help them lead well? God, would you allow them to uh, be a light to their men in dark places? And God, would you protect the Iraqis and the Afghanistan people? And would you give them righteous governance? Ultimately, God, I pray that this conflict would serve to advance the gospel. And as we sit in a heated room with um, poinsettias and comforts, God, would you stir our hearts? Would you simply help us to focus on Jesus today? And so we pray these things humbly in the name of our great God and King Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, John chapter 1. Today, uh, we're going to talk about the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, Do you guys have trouble with Christmas? I do. I really do. (laughs) Um, I am uh, not from here. I'm from the uh, country of California. And um, it's always sort of a strange time for me to be, so even though I've lived here more than half of my life now, uh, Christmas can be a depressing and sort of strange time for people sometimes when they're away from family. And does your neck ever just get a little tense over Christmas, just the traffic and the just the stress, and it kind of gunks you up a little bit, doesn't it? Or is it just me? Um, Does anybody, are you just a little more impatient with your family? Um, Is there a little bit more pressure to put on the happy face? You know, kind of what I'm talking about, sort of that pressure if you're part of the Facebook culture where we just have to post something that sounds like we're just so happy, you know? (laughs) I love this time of year. And I do too, but sometimes I also kind of dread this time of year. And can I confess something to you before I preach that will help your confidence rise in my ability to um, deliver this word to you? Uh, this week is, I've been very distracted uh, over good things, Christmas stuff, and some neat things that are going on in the church, uh, lots of meetings. And I haven't really been reading my Bible or connecting with God and letting the Spirit kind of flow through me like I should. And so I'm a little afraid, I'm a little, you know, loud noises make me jump. And I, you know, I just kind of want to yell at little people in my house for making messes. And um, so, all right, open your Bibles. (laughs) Uh, We're going to use John 1 as a a launching pad today. And then we're going to talk about the incarnation of Jesus. We're going to do this today, preach a New Year's kind of message in a couple weeks, and then um, in January we're going to enter into our Daniel fast. I'm going to talk much more about that the first Sunday of January. We're going to start that January 10th, and we're going to do it 10 or 21 days, two different options. We're going to try as best as we can to eat just fruits and vegetables. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament, young man who was taken away in Babylonian captivity. 
And in that captivity, he, as a test and a witness to the foreign king, ages, fruits, and vegetables, we're going to do that. We just finished up Nehemiah, and we're probably going to sometime in January or February start a New Testament book, probably Colossians. But today I just want to focus on this idea of the incarnation and give you three aspects of it, and then we're going to respond in worship and communion and prayer. So let's read John chapter 1, verse 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, it's a capital W. That's not just talking about the written Word, but it's talking about the person of Jesus In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who... There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Who gave, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to this. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation is a word that literally means that God took on flesh. This is one of the most difficult and wrestled with doctrines in the history of the church. In fact, there is this uh, really, uh, he's getting very, very elderly, but he is an incredibly respected theologian. He is probably the preeminent theologian alive today. And his name is James Packer. He goes by J.I. Packer. And I like to call him the Godfather. If he was here today, I would kiss his ring and, you know, speak in a scratchy Italian voice to him. He is uh, preeminent in his work uh, in, in our day. And he wrote a book called Knowing God. And in fact, I would recommend this is a classic of Christian literature. And if you're looking for a lifetime book that's something, if you're building a library that you, just a book that you should have, this is a book that, that you should have. Don't read it and think you're going to work your way through it over your Christmas break because it's, it's, it's like 14 filet mignons stacked together. And uh, it's a deep, deep book. But this is what J.I. Packer says about the incarnation. And the incarnation literally is this doctrine that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is fully and completely God, takes on human flesh and becomes fully man. And so you have Jesus with two natures combined into one person. He is fully and completely God, also fully and completely human at the same time. This is a mystery. We cannot explain this completely in our finite minds. And Packer alludes to that. This is what he says about this Incarnation. He says, here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons within the unity of God 
and the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. It is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The word became flesh. John 1.14, we just read that. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Listen to this now. Unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. And then he says these two sentences, and I'll end with this. He says, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. So add up every Quentin Tarantino whatever movie and all the fiction that's out there. And Packer says that nothing in history, in fiction, is as fantastic as the incarnation. There's three things that the incarnation does for us. I want to dwell on these things and then we'll respond in worship. The first thing that the incarnation does is it shows us that Jesus humbled himself before us. Let me read a scripture. I'm going to flip around and read a lot of scripture today. It might be better for you to just sit tight where you are and just follow along and write these scriptures down. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, remember, Jesus is fully God, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He, now this is God, remember, God, the second person of the Trinity, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The scripture tells us that Jesus literally, he humbled himself. Think about this. Now the created, Colossians chapter 1 tells us, I just quoted it in my prayer. He created all things. And his very creation now is dragging him to a cross and crucifying him. Jesus models for us in his incarnation incredible humility. Now think with me for a moment just how incredibly, incredibly proud and arrogant we often are. We live in a culture of entitlement. You know where I was about 12 hours ago? I was in my living room furious because Mediacom does not carry the NFL network. <laughs> and, and I was not able to watch the New Orleans Saints. Who dat think they beat them Saints? I was not able... To watch the New Orleans Saints. And by the way, I have no connection to the New Orleans Saints. But they were undefeated. And nobody's ever gone through a season undefeated except for the 1972 Miami Dolphins. And they were playing 
the Cowboys, who have a quarterback named Tony Roma, which is an Italian surname, by the way, as I'm not a Cowboy fan at all, but I, I, I am a American, red-blooded male, and I am a football fan. And it is my right <laughs> to have access to the NFL network, is it not? <laughs> How pathetic. And so I am passively, aggressively angry at my neighborhood <laughs> for not running, at the builder and everybody else involved for choosing to allow Mediacom to whatever. We, we live in a culture of entitlement, don't we? Does, does not this season just push us towards get, doesn't it? Isn't it kind of funny that the very system that we have concocted to celebrate Jesus' birth drives us towards characteristics that are 180 degrees in the opposite direction of the embodiment of his life here on this earth? We are arrogant, entitled, selfish people most of the time. And the one thing that the incarnation reminds us of is the condescension of God. The condescension of God. Think about the biggest gap bridged in humanity. Like think about if some big dignitary or important person in this town came and sat among us and we'd all kind of be looking at, we wouldn't want to notice him, but we'd kind of want to be looking out of the side of our eye to see if he kind of was mingling with us. God, the creator of the universe, took on flesh and dwelt among us and humbled himself and allowed his very creation to kill him so that he could save them. That is unfathomable. The first thing that Jesus, and there's many things that the incarnation teaches us, I'm just going to go over three today, is that this humility of Jesus that he gives us as an example. The second thing that the incarnation, as I've been thinking about it this week, does, and this is so important, is that Jesus identifies with us through the taking on of flesh, the taking on of humanity. Hebrews chapter 2 says something so very important. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Listen to these words. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Verse 17, therefore, listen to this. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. And that's an important word. It means that Jesus absorbs, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, that he absorbs the penalty for sin completely satisfies the justice and wrath of God on the cross. 
and then turns that wrath into favor for all those that would believe and receive him as their Lord. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It goes on a couple of chapters over, over in Hebrews 4. It says that we have a great high priest in verse 14 who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus completely identifies with us right now in every situation that each person is going through, and he did it in a perfect and sinful and victorious way. Let's bring this home a little bit. I have a, right now in my life, I have a, a relationship with a brother that is just underneath, it's just a burr in my saddle. Nobody that you know that's in this room, who is it? You know, I'm like, it's nobody, but it's just, it's just stressful for me. And Jesus, these scriptures tell me, knows that trial. He knows it. He's experienced that frustration. A dear friend of Jennifer and mine, a week and a half ago, week and a half ago, she is the, she has a granddaughter who she has raised from birth, who is like a daughter to her. She is her daughter. She adopted her. She's a local kid here, a junior in a local high school. She's mentally challenged, handicapped mentally. And a week and a half ago, she was enticed by one of her classmates, taken home, and assaulted in every horrible way that a young girl can be assaulted. What do you do with pain like that? What do you do with that? It can cause us to run from God or run to God. And see, this is so hard for us to get a hold of this truth. But when we do, it absolutely revolutionizes the way we see God. God meets us in our pain. The scripture tells us that Jesus on the cross is there for the girl who's enduring pain like that. He's there for the struggling relationship. He is there for the marriage that is frayed. He is there for the young, talented pastor who has brain cancer. He is there for the young couple that gets this stay in Emory and has to endure this anxiety. He is there for the parent who is flummoxed and full of anxiety about their child. He is there. He identifies with it. It's not just the, oh, I can kind of understand what you're saying. Jesus is in that pain because he experienced it on the cross. Jesus completely identifies with every situation that we are facing in this room. 
So therefore, we have the privilege to invite Jesus into our worst and most difficult situations. What a, what a glorious truth. What a glorious truth. The third and final thing, and we'll end in just a moment, is that, and this may be the reason for greatest joy, is that Jesus completely satisfies the penalty of sin in his incarnation. Colossians chapter 2, and we may study Colossians here at the early part of this year. An incredible truth in Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debts that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus takes the penalty for our sin. We do not instinctively think that we are people that need to be punished, do we? It's kind of like, ah, I'm a pretty good guy. Come on. The record of the scriptures are clear that sin has totally separated us from God and that we need a savior who will come and absorb the justice and the wrath of God and this scripture clearly tells us that Jesus in the flesh does that and then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 it says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has put to death the wrath the sin and the wrath that came by absorbing that on the cross in the body. And therefore we, as his people, can now sing these songs like we sang at the beginning. Joy to the world. The king has come. Here's my question for you today. I think I'm dealing probably with two sets of people Number one is, are you a Christian? And there's just something about this season that just absolutely derails your sense of connection to Jesus. Are you a Christian that is um, facing the pressure of Christian culture to put on a happy face for Christmas and you know, kind of put it in overdrive? Are you a Christian that's going through a terrific trial? The incarnation comes and Jesus in his power and in his humility comes to identify with us in that moment. Would, can I encourage you just for a second before we ramp it up and before we do our thing over this next week and a half for us to dwell on the unfathomable mystery of God become flesh and making himself vulnerable for us. Can we connect to that reality for a moment and admit that things are broken and not as they should be? There's a Savior who offers a way back to God and the process of the restoration of all things. Can we, can we invite Jesus into that? If you're not a Christian here today, you probably maybe came to church with a friend and maybe you were wanting a little Christmas message. Um, 
It's not my style. Figured that out early on. Can I tell you the good news of Jesus is that he bore the penalty that is yours. And that if you do not receive him as king and savior, that penalty will still be yours. That people do not make it to heaven because they're born in Columbus, Georgia, or because their daddy was a deacon at the local church. They don't become Christians because they grow up in the American South. You're not born a Christian. You're born a sinner. You become a Christian by being born again through faith in Jesus. And so maybe today this has kind of become real to you, and it's not because of any eloquence of mine or because of anything that we've done, but literally the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moves upon your soul with the words of truth, and it causes you to be born again. And God gives you the gift of faith. He gives it to you. It's not anything you bring to the table. He gives you the gift of faith. And so what you need to do right now is you need to respond in faith and trust and say that Jesus is is much more than a cultural ethic or a religion or a little baby born in a manger. But he is, in fact, the incarnate God-man who comes to take away the sin of the world. Comes to take away your sin and my sin. But that's only true for those that receive him. Remember that verse we read in John chapter 1 at the beginning, verse 12. It says, to those that receive him, to those that believe in his name, to them, to them, not to everybody, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So it's a faith issue that you must exercise now in Jesus. And faith is not just cognitive belief, but it is actual trust. Where you stand on it and you say, look, I'm not perfect. I've got a life full of baggage. But I'm exercising trust in Jesus. I'm giving my heart to him. I'm standing on the truth that he alone is God and he alone died on a cross and that he alone bore the penalty that should have been mine and that he alone offers new life, in fact, is life. You can do that now by believing and trusting and acknowledging those things. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to worship you in communion, Lord, I thank you for Jesus in his humility. The the one who hung the stars and named them, the one who created all things, the one to whom all honor and glory and power and authority is due, humbled himself. He took on flesh and he allowed the flesh that he created to nail his flesh to a cross. Lord, we live in a commercialized culture that likes the little baby Jesus but wants to marginalize the exalted King Jesus. 
And so, God, for those of us who know you, would you tune our hearts into the reality of the incarnate but also the exalted Jesus? Lord, we're great at hallway Christianity. We're great at Facebook posts. And we're great at um, somewhat insincere public displays of cultural Christianity. But God, sometimes we're really, really bad at being real and authentic with our pain and our trial and our confusion and our frustration and our stress and our self-absorption. So, God, would you break through all of that today? Because we actually need to go through this repentance for real joy. And so, God, would you come now for those of us that know you, and would you cause us to see Jesus in new ways? Would you let us mind the depths of the unfathomable mystery of the incarnation of Jesus? Would you... Would you come into the pain of people that are in this room right now and would you be the glory and the lifter of our head? Would you also come into the self-absorption of people like me and would you cause us, God, to get our eyes off of ourself? God, would you, would you break through the malaise that is American self-absorption and would you let us lift up our eyes and see Jesus and then God would that move us to joy and worship and exaltation and and thankfulness and gratitude God for those that are in this room who are not truly born again they they don't really know you, God. Would you cause them right now to be born again? Would you do that? God, I can't, I can't coax it with my words, so would you do what only your spirit can do? And would you bring new life? And would that person turn and trust in Jesus? Would they see the glory of his grace? Would they see a Savior who is full of grace? And full of truth, who comes to make the Godhead, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit fully known. God, would you do that right now? And God, as we spend a few moments worshiping you in song and receiving communion and getting prayed for and lifting our hands in worship and gratitude or sitting in our seats and repentance and and confession God whatever it is God would you cause this room to be full of truth and reality and authenticity and passionate pursuit of God not Christian religion not American commercialism but Jesus and God I confess my dryness my self-absorption, my hypocrisy. Blow through me now with your spirit and let me see Jesus, the humble, exalted King. 
pray it in Jesus, that good name of Jesus. Amen.